And welcome everybody to the water cooler. I'm David Brody. It's January 1st, 2021. Hello, 2020 gone. Who am I shouting to? Anyhow, I'm shouting to everybody because 2020 in the rear view mirror. Finally, uh, we're doing a best of show here on January 1st uh, on the show today. Uh, Donald Trump's attorney, Jenna Ellis, uh, she opposes uh, this idea of the Insurrection Act. And we're going to talk about that with Jenna Ellis on the show today. Also, Stephanie Rawlings Blake says Biden has probably rubbed some of the progressives the wrong way. Stephanie Rawlings Blake, a progressive former mayor of Baltimore. Also, Aaron Solomon on the show today. He's a senior strategist with nextlevel.com. He's going to lay out the facts about presidential pardons. And Scott Rasmussen, host of Just the Polls, is going to reveal something interesting. 63% of Republicans believe that Donald Trump won the election. Speaking of the election, let's start out our, our New Year's Day coverage with Jenna Ellis, one of Donald Trump's lawyers, talking about the fraud this year. I want to begin, though, with one of the big players in all of this. Jenna Ellis joined us earlier today. She, along with Rudy Giuliani, are leading the efforts when it comes to the president's legal strategy ahead. Jenna Ellis, uh, always great to see you. Thanks for being here on the water cooler again. Great to join you, David. Thanks for having me. Well, the latest, obviously, uh, the filing at the Supreme Court. Take us through it. What's the legal strategy there behind this, Jenna? Yeah, well, thanks. The legal strategy has always been the same, which is to make sure that we protect election integrity and make sure that all of these illegal uh, votes are not actually counted in the totals and to make sure that uh, even though the, the laws were completely disregarded in Pennsylvania, that we get the appropriate remedy there uh, for not only the uh, voters in Pennsylvania, but the American people as a whole. And so what Team Trump is continuing to do is challenge um, all of these rule violations in the states. And so uh, what we did yesterday was filed a case uh, to the Supreme Court. Of course, this is on appeal, unlike the Texas versus Pennsylvania case that had original jurisdiction that went directly to the Supreme Court without any lower court proceedings. Uh, this one is on appeal, so it is discretionary for the Supreme Court, uh, but we hope that they, of course, will take this up. This shouldn't be a political partisan issue. It shouldn't be anything else other than the genuine administration of justice. And so uh, this particular case is uh, fighting to remedy uh, what the Pennsylvania laws were disregarded. And I'm uh, now reading from our press release that said, um, our petition seeks to reverse three decisions which uh, eviscerated Pennsylvania legislature's protections against mail-in ballot fraud, including first, prohibiting election officials checking whether signatures on mail ballots are genuine during canvassing on election day. Second, mm -hmm. eliminating the right of campaigns to challenge mail-in ballots during canvassing for mm -hmm. signatures and other irregularities. Third, holding that the rights of campaigns to observe canvass canvassing of mail-in ballots only merit that they were allowed to, quote unquote, be in the room. Uh, those are the ballots that are counted in secret. And then finally, uh, eliminating the statutory requirements that voters properly sign, address, and date mail-in ballots. I mean, these are just things that are common sense safeguards that were totally ignored in Pennsylvania. And the remedy that we're asking the Supreme Court um, is to simply follow the law and the Constitution. Jenna, I've got to ask you, you know, the, the courts have been uh, honestly a bit AWOL here in terms of taking up some of these cases. Uh, and obviously state legislatures uh, haven't really stepped up and done their part. And so then the Epoch Times comes out with this. I want to read this to you. This is an editorial from the conservative uh, Epoch Times. And this is what they say. They're talking about the Insurrection Act and they come to a final conclusion. But this is what they say. Our form of government is at risk if an election can be won through such dishonest means as were used in 2020, 
then one can expect the next election to be won in the same manner. The American people will effectively lose their right to vote. They go on to say this. How will the United States be defended? Local, this is the part I was talking to you right about here now. Local officials are often those most complicit in the corruption of the election. Judges, because of the doctrine of separation of powers, are not often reluctant to tell states how to run their elections. And the U.S. Congress has no role unless the Electoral College fails to deliver a winner. And then they come to this final conclusion, Jenna. They say Trump's destiny is to fill the breach. He has taken an oath to defend the U.S. Constitution, and he has the presidential powers to do so. And then they say Trump should use those powers as president to safeguard the future of our republic and arrest those who have conspired to deprive people of their rights through election fraud. The Insurrection Act enables Trump to use the military to seize the key electoral evidence in contested states and deliver huh, a transparent, accurate accounting of the vote. Uh, and finally, they say our system is in crisis. Trump should act now to restore the rule of law. What, what's your uh, take on what they are saying? It's a, what a lot of conservatives feel as it relates to specifically, Jenna, the Insurrection Act. Yeah, that's a great question, and I'm glad you bring this up because, um, you know, while the administration of elections, of course, is within the province of the judiciary, it's not a political uh, sort of contemplation. This is about making sure that the Supreme Court, which ultimately are the judges, uh, make people follow the rules. That's uh, that's just something that's part of law and order in this country. But when you get into things like the Insurrection Act, what that's asking uh, President Trump to do is to take the military and go and seize assets in state sovereignties. Um, there are a variety of reasons that I don't think that that is a particularly constitutional solution. And certainly, um, I would not advise that uh, the American people want that ultimately as the solution here because of the precedent that it would set. We have a constitutional process for a reason, and we have the judicial branch that really does need to step in. I think that the Supreme Court absolutely let the American people down by refusing to take up the Texas case. They had no discretion under the U.S. Constitution. Justices Alito and Thomas were absolutely right about that. It was original jurisdiction filed directly in the Supreme Court, states versus states. They had no uh, authority to deny hearing that case regardless of the outcome. So the Supreme Court absolutely let us down. We've had the executive branch that let us down because these election officials that were supposed to administer the law of their states completely disregarded it. But what the, um, the Epoch Times uh, didn't go into is actually the state legislature solution. That's the protection mm -hmm. under Article 2 that the founders specifically put in place, not uh, the military option, not anything within the executive branch, but the state legislatures. They can look at all of this uh, corruption. They can look at how their laws in their states were totally ignored and they can take back their delegates at any time and they can refuse to go along with the certifications that are absolutely false and fraudulent. So that's the constitutional yeah. solution and I would encourage David for all of the people and there are so many there are 80 million Americans out there who voted for President Trump who know that this was a steal who want a solution. We have to still make sure that even though we see that our country has been undermined by corruption our solution can't be to undermine the Constitution ourselves. We have to go through the process. We have to hold our leaders accountable. And at the end of the day, if we don't get a correction in this case, we have to fight to make sure that this never happens again and that we still continue uh, to battle forward to find the truth um, and to make sure to push the truth in the outcome of this election to make sure uh, that we follow those constitutional processes. You know, that's interesting. You know, and just
One thing I appreciate about you is you're a straight shooter, and uh, I know there are a lot of folks in MAGA land that want that Insurrection Act to, you know, uh, to be invoked, and this idea, you know, just, uh, you know, just go all the way, go, go, go fully that way, and technically the president can't do that, but you're saying there's a delineation between that and the constitutional way to do it, because this might divide MAGA nation a little bit, especially folks that are even further along in the process in terms of what they want this president to do. Sure, and I certainly understand uh, their motivation and their passion, but we have to make sure that uh, we have actually meaningful justice. Um, you don't go and uh, and correct a process uh, or a correct you know a, a fraud or um, something that was an injustice or an illegality by going outside the process. That's why we have law and order in this country, and that's why we don't have vigilante justice. That's why we have uh, certain laws and processes. And so um, I would just encourage the American people, and I know that a lot of people out there aren't lawyers, you know, they're looking at these types of things and thinking, oh, this right. would be great for the president to do. We have all these different ideas. Uh, but that's also why he has advisors. That's why he has attorneys to make sure that staying within uh, his, the margins of his constitutional authority, and especially for precedent, that we make sure that this process, uh, that we're the ones that uphold yeah. the Constitution. Uh, and I know, I know there's attorney-client privilege. You probably can't get into all of those discussions, but I know that, that certain media outlets reported about a big uh, White House uh, meeting on Friday night, the president and I was Sidney Powell and some others were involved and there were people weighing in on both sides. So what, what can you tell, what can you tell us about some, I'm sorry, what's that, Jenna? Sorry, I said, I'm happy to say I was not part of that for the record. Oh, okay, well, that, well that's what I want to ask you. I, so is there anything you can tell us uh, about that? Because I know there were different schools of thought about what the president is hearing right now. Yeah, and you know that's something I wasn't part of those discussions, and um, you know anything in terms of my direct advice to the president, of course, does fall under privilege. But uh, what I would say to the American people is that President Trump absolutely is fighting, but he's fighting within the margins of the Constitution, and he's also making sure that when he protects America first and election integrity, this is all about following the rules. This is all about yeah. making sure that the rule breakers are brought to justice, and that their corruption and that their uh, ultimately uh, dereliction of their duty and all of the, this election fraud is ultimately resolved. 30 seconds. Congressman Matt Gates uh, says he's going to object on January 6th. That's another U.S. congressman. I know you're looking for one bold senator. What's the latest? What can you tell us? You, you think there'll be a bold senator to stand on January 6th? I really hope so. And I think that, uh, you know, what what the what Congress really needs to look at is to make sure that this never happens again. And if we allow cheaters to prosper, they'll continue. But what I really hope even before January 6th, David, is that the state legislatures in these six states actually grow a spine. The state leadership, there are a lot of uh, both senators and representatives in all these six swing states that want to co uh, correct the corruption and the disregard of the rules in their states, they can do that between now and January 6th. That's really the solution that needs to happen. Jenna Ellis, a key member of Donald Trump, the president's uh, legal team. Jenna, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks, David. Jenna Ellis here on the water cooler. Some interesting news she made out of that interview, in essence, saying that her advice to the president would be don't go the way of the Insurrection Act. And of course, that does seem like it would divide MAGA Nation, as I pointed out in the interview, because you have Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood and others that are not representing the president officially, but they obviously want the president to go that route, including General Michael Flynn, too. So uh, TBA on how all of this is going to work out. All right, when we come back, an update on King Newsom in California. Some calling him a King Jester, Court Jester, not King Jester.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. I feel like we should do two shows. I mean, we've got the election fraud Trump uh, show that we do, and then we've got to do the president-elect Joe Biden show, right? So let me put on a different there. Boom. All right, I'm back. And now it's time for the president-elect Biden uh, portion of the show. Uh, Joining us to talk more about the president-elect. And I know Trump folks, they they squirm when, when I say that, but hey... Here we are, uh, is Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, the former uh, mayor of Baltimore. And uh, let's be honest, a a friend of the show. Stephanie, great to see you. It's good to be here. Happy Friday. You too. Happy Friday. Uh, Hey, uh, let's talk about uh, uh, President-elect Biden's uh, cabinet choices so far. What do you make of them? Uh, Who's happy? Who might not be so happy? Give us us your uh, straight shot answer on that. So it's hard to make everyone happy. Wait, why did you do? Why did you do that? You say who's happy, who's not happy. I'm like, it's 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 impossible for everyone to be happy when you have these positions. Uh, They're coveted spots, and so many uh, people were a part of the 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 team that got um, President-elect Biden over the finish line. Uh, he has a lot to juggle when it when it comes to you know picking uh, individuals who will have these coveted positions. So I can say that um, yeah, I think centrists uh, are pretty happy. Uh, he's got really solid choices. People who um, actually have backgrounds in the things that they're doing and not just friends or family. Uh, and I, I know that he has probably rubbed some uh, of the progressives the wrong way with some of his choices, but I would caution them uh, to be forward thinking in the sense that you, it, it's, it's okay to, to acknowledge someone's past positions and someone's, um, you know, past policy decisions, but you have to, I think, give people a chance moving forward uh, to show you that they can, they can work with you as opposed to looking at um, everyone as an enemy or looking at these um, these appointments as a zero-sum game. Yeah, you know, I, I have to tell you, I appreciate your honesty because, you know, I, I know, I, I know, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I think you're trying to, you're not tap dancing at all. You're, you're, you're being honest, but, but, but there is a, the centrists and the progressives, and th- there's some yin and yang there, and I think the truth of the matter is it sounds like progressives would like it to be far more progressive, and it's not, it's, it's feeling kind of center-left establishment right now. I mean, it is, but I think that that reflects the country. I mean, progressives mm-hmm. are are certainly active and certainly, I think, you know, will hold a place in the future of the Democratic Party for a long time. Um, but if the country and if the Democratic Party wanted a, prog- a progressive um, candidate, um, you know, they wouldn't have elected Biden and uh, Biden won overwhelmingly. So I, I, I think that 
as uh, enthusiastic as they are about their positions, they also need to be realistic about the fact that they need to partner with the, the you know, dance with the person that that brought them and and work with them, work with uh, President-elect Biden to try to get their agenda um, moving forward. I want to read you uh, a quick quote. It was from some audio that uh, was captured the other day on a Zoom call that uh, President-elect Biden was having with civil rights leaders. Uh, th this is what he said, and, and I want to read you this quote. Um, He's talking about defunding the police. He goes, I also don't think we should get too far ahead of ourselves on dealing with police reform and that because they've already labeled us as being defund the police, anything we put forward in terms of the organizational structure to change policing or excuse me, policing, which I promise you will occur, promise you. And he goes on to say that they really uh, kicked our butt, if you will, uh, when it comes to uh, the, the stereotype, if you will, about the defunding police, the socialism, and, and, the, and the progressives got beat up pretty hard. And it sounds like Joe Biden is kind of pushing back right now on this whole idea of defunding the police. Your take? I think he should push back on, on that concept. Um, the, the thing that I know is that communities who are under siege, communities where grandmothers can't uh, walk to the corner store where they have to be worried every time their kids and their grandkids go outside um, because of the dangers in their community, they want to see police officers. Uh, so they're not asking to defund the police. They're asking for better policing. Uh, and, and my hope is uh, that Republicans and Democrats alike will start to focus on their constituents and not the 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 political fight this whole defund the police or you know that sort of is are you progressive enough on policing you know people are hurting now people want safe communities now that's what we should focus on not yeah. necessarily on which which way you know which how you fit on this litmus test of de defunding the police there's a before we let you go there's a lot of talk about uh, pardons that trump may do before he leaves uh, regarding uh, family members i asked laura trump who was on the show yesterday uh, about the family pardons. Here was her answer, and she mentioned Joe Biden. Ha have a listen. You know, when you look up uh, the definition of insanity in the dictionary, you see the liberal media's picture uh, front and center. I mean, <laughs> the, what, what they are doing, I mean, I'm talking about journalism dead in America. It, it's really been, honestly, it's been very sad to see, and I feel like they're having people out there have to choose. Are you on team A or team B? And that really, unfortunately, shouldn't be the case. Um, they're making a lot of uh, a lot of headlines about family pardons. You know, they're trying to usher him out the door and all of that. What's, I want to get your reaction to some of the family pardon talk uh, and, and what the, the feeling is inside the family, if you will. Well, I don't think we're the family that needs a pardon. It looks like that might go to the Biden family. That might go to the Biden family, clearly referring to Hunter Biden. What, what, what's your take on pardons and Trump and Biden and all that? So I, I think what uh, President Trump has done with pardons is disgraceful. Um, I think what he plans, what, what we are hearing that he's planning to do is even even more disgraceful. But I think it's 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 a waste for me to talk about it because Republicans will um, have his back, you know, to the end of time. On That's whatever true. He does. And, um, you know, I think history will reveal the truth of his work. I don't think his pardons are doing anything uh, to press forward American ideals at all. And it, it, it is making us a weaker country in the eyes of the world. Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, always great to see you. And, and don't take this the wrong way. We, we love having you on the show, but that Skype shot behind you, that's just as good. Just as good. I mean, <laughs> the, the whole thing is working. It's working. I'm just letting Thank you know. You.
Thank you very much. It's always good to see you. All right, Stephanie Rawlings-Blake uh, here on the Water Cooler. Hey, we're news with a smile. Look, we don't want to hate anybody. We're not here to hate. We're here to love. I feel like I'm in 1967, and I need to have some beads. Madison, do we have, like, some beads that I can wear, like some... Madison going to get me beads. We're going to expense that, by the way, here at the water cooler, though the budget is a little tight, if you know what I'm saying. All right, we're back in a moment with uh, more on the uh, March for Trump rally. Back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, All right, look, uh, President Donald J. Trump, he's still president. I know. Who knows? Maybe another four years. All right, don't laugh. Don't laugh. 99.9% chance maybe, but 0.1% chance. Anyhow, the question now becomes, and there's a lot of talk about this, if the president uh, leaves, uh, what happens regarding pardons, uh, f- pardons for family members? Could he pardon himself? There's a lot of talk about this. We want to bring in Professor uh, Aaron Solomon. He is a senior digital strategist with NextLevel.com who wrote an article about this, basically a primer on presidential family pardons. So, uh, Professor uh, Solomon, great to have you with us. It's great to be here, David. Thanks for having me. Well, why don't you take us through the, uh, the primer? Uh, t- you're making the case, what, that he can't, can he pardon himself? My sense is you're saying there's a way for him to pardon himself. Well, the pardoning himself piece is extremely complicated. In the piece that I wrote on presidential family primers, it was really thinking about his kids and potentially his wife. Okay. The issue as to whether a president can pardon himself is something that we've been grappling with for at least 50 years and ultimately would have to be decided by the Supreme Court if they choose to hear the case. So talk to me then, take me through it a little bit regarding family pardons. Let's at least start there. Uh, What's the argument for him allowing family pardons in, in an ethical and constitutional way? Well, constitutionally, he can absolutely do it. So as we remember, it's the Constitution that guarantees the president's pardon power. It's actually in Section 2, Clause 1 of the Constitution, and it says that the president has the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States. That's the first piece, is a presidential pardon is only for federal offenses. It doesn't say in the Constitution that the president can't pardon family members. So let's put aside the first lady for a minute and focus on potentially pardoning his children. My opinion is, and I think the opinion of of much better constitutional scholars than I, is that he can absolutely do it. And remember, what's important here is that there's two types of pardons. You can actually do a preemptive pardon if someone is yet to be charged with a crime. And that's something that a lot of people don't know. Well, I was just about to ask you that because my next question was going to be, how can you pardon someone who hasn't committed a crime or hasn't been charged with committing a crime? So how does that work exactly? Well, again, that's you're, the language you use there is wonderful. You really can't pardon someone who hasn't committed a crime, but you can pardon someone who has committed a crime who hasn't been charged yet. So if we look at President Trump warming up his pardon pen last week with General Flynn, 
General Flynn had been accused of committing a crime, and there was a judicial process that happened after that. So that was more of what we think of as a traditional pardon. But the president can absolutely pardon someone who has, to this date, committed a crime, but has not yet been charged. And that's the theory that comes around the pardons for the president's children, is if, hypothetically, they have committed federal crimes, could he pardon them? And I believe the answer to that is yes. But again, remember, the presidential pardon power applies only to federal crimes, not to any state crimes. And a lot of experts believe that if the Trump family ends up getting into trouble after President Trump eventually leaves office, it could be more with state crimes than federal crimes. Right, for sure. But you know what's interesting to me on this whole federal crime pardon? I mean, what <laughs> what is it, fill in the blank when it comes to a pardon? I mean, how, how do you pardon someone for a potential crime that someone down the road may charge them with? I mean, I hereby pardon, uh, you know, Jared Kushner for, and then, a, B, and C, or fill in the blank, or multiple choice? How does that, that, that I don't even understand that. Yeah, it depends. That's, that's honestly the short answer that it depends. It could be a fill in the blank. It could be <laughs> listing the actual crime that had been committed. It, it's really, really interesting um, how it works, but that's the way that it would work. But obviously, it would be to pardon a federal crime that has already happened, not a crime mm -hmm. that could happen at some point in the future, because a president cannot pardon crimes that have not yet occurred. So uh, back to the president pardoning himself. I know there's uh, kind of two schools of thought. On it, though I'm assuming most constitutional scholars would say that he really ca either can't pardon himself or at least ethically for sure should not pardon himself. I mean, the framers, I would think, would maybe look down upon something like that. Here's a practical way that he can get around it. Yes, we could absolutely have a four hour long conversation, probably longer than our slot today, about the ethics of doing this or whether President Trump or any president could get away with it. Here's one practical way that it could happen. The 25th Amendment could be invoked, obviously with President Trump's cooperation, and Vice President Trump could become president. Even for a very short period of time, Vice President Pence could then pardon President Trump of federal crimes. That's one way to get around the idea of a self-pardon. <laughs> uh, you know, listen, w with President Trump, you know, everything's on the table. I have no idea what's going to end up happening. Uh, I will say this. What's your best guess as it relates to whether or not any of this comes to fruition? I think he has a few other things uh, that he's dealing with right about now. Uh, he's in an election fraud fight uh, and all of that. I mean, do, do you think that this is even a situation where family pardons may end up coming into play here at some point? Absolutely. Every president, as I said, when President Trump last week was warming up his pardon pen, every president makes a lot of pardons very close to or on their last day of office. Mm -hmm. The idea that President Trump would pardon family members is absolutely not beyond the pale. The question that we haven't talked today, by the way, that I find very interesting is could he or would he pardon his wife? Uh, there are more complex legal theories around that. Um, theoretically, he could pardon 
pardon his wife. There also may be a no around that based on a longstanding legal doctrine around husbands and wives called spousal privilege. So when we talk about President Trump pardoning his family members, I'd like to have that conversation exclude for the time being the first lady. I got about 30 seconds or so, but what would he pardon his wife for? I mean, am I missing something? Was there something illegally um, charged out there or brought up? I'm trying to understand that. Well, my understanding is that the Trump family generally um, has been accused of certain federal and state crimes that the first lady may or may not be involved in. It would make sense that if President Trump was seeking to pardon his children and other family members that mm. I would think if I were him, I might want to involve my wife in that pardon as well. That one becomes right. a little bit more politically and legally complicated. Yeah, the old umbrella pardon. All right, uh, Professor Aaron Solomon, thanks for being here. Great insight. Really appreciate the conversation. Thanks. For for having me anytime. All right. Boy, I tell you what, my head's about to explode. Hey, speaking about exploding stuff, the last sip is next. Uh, and <laughs> uh, this is an interesting one. Let me just say, Santa, he has gone off the rails. He's making kids cry. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the uh, water cooler, everybody. I hope you're doing well on this uh, Monday afternoon. So a couple of different things here. Uh, is Joe Biden president-elect or is he just Joe Biden? Uh, is he the guy that ran against Trump that got too, too, too many illegal votes? Is, he, is Donald Trump the guy that won't give it up and won't leave the White House? What's going on? Let's get uh, some answers from Scott Rasmussen uh, with uh, Just the News and Just the Polls, uh, who does this uh, podcast for us uh, all, all the time here on justthenews.com. Uh, Scott, good to see you, sir. Great to see you. And, you know, today the Electoral College is meeting and they will formally uh, confirm that Joe Biden is president-elect. But not everybody thinks that's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, some polling that I've just conducted for politicaliq.com shows that this weekend, 29 percent of voters, nearly one out of three, still believe that Donald Trump was the legitimate winner of this presidential election. And by the way, 17 percent actually think he will somehow ultimately be declared the winner. I mean, I'm just, I don't quite know what to say. I'm just sitting here kind of, kind of marinating on those numbers. Is that, that that's, should I, should I be shocked at those numbers? I don't know what I should what? feel. What do I, what should I feel? Scott, help me. I'm doc, be Dr. Phil for me. Help me out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not very good at Dr. Phil. What I can tell you is that for Republicans, most Republicans, 63% say that Trump really was the legitimate winner. They think that something was wrong with the votes. Now, when you say, how should you feel, though, you got to remember back four years ago, about a third of uh, voters thought that Donald Trump was not the legitimate winner. You know, it was all because of Russian collusion. Uh, this is something that's become a bit of a problem in America. The losing side is believing somehow they got cheated. Uh, we've had nine consecutive close presidential elections where nobody's won more than 53%. We haven't had a landslide since 1984. 
And so these close elections are, are putting everybody on edge and they're close enough to make the losing side think they won. You know, um, yeah. And it's going to be a problem for, for President-elect Biden going forward, just as it was a problem for President Trump having the resistance out there. Maybe it's a technicality, maybe it's not. But, you know, with 306 electoral votes that Biden has received, uh, you know, the Biden folks will call it a landslide. When Trump got a 306, they called it a landslide. But what, what constitutes a landslide exactly? Do you have any sense on that? Sure. I mean, my definition is very simple. You've got to win at least 55 percent of the vote, meaning you have a double digit margin of victory. And you've got to have a very sizable chunk of the Electoral College. Now, 1984, why was that a landslide? Ronald Reagan won 59 percent of the vote. Fifty nine, not not 52 like Joe Biden has. Fifty nine percent of the vote. He won 49 states and came within 10,000 votes of winning all 50. That's a landslide. And from 1920 up till 1972, we had a landslide either every election or every other election. I mean, that was good for America. It's good to have landslides because, you know, when Ronald Reagan beat Walter Mondale winning 49 states, Democrats didn't think it was a technicality. And by the way, they didn't think that Mondale's approach of calling for higher taxes was the way to go the next time around. So they learned from it. Uh, we need something like that. We do need a candidate who can win a significant majority going forward. Here's something else uh, voters think we need, or, or I wonder, do voters think we need it, uh, which is voter ID, especially as it relates to uh, uh, folks that are, are here illegally. Uh, what, you've done some polling on this uh, as it relates to illegal citizenship and, and voter ID. What, what did you find? They're, they're the numbers. Tell, walk us through that, Scott. Yeah. Well, it, right now it's, a, it's illegal for non-citizens to vote in federal elections. But there's a 1993 law that says election officials can't ask you for proof of citizenship when you register to vote. So kind of a contradiction. How do you know if somebody is a non-citizen if you're not allowed to ask and verify it? 56% of voters think uh, you should be allowed to ask for citizenship, just 26% disagree. Uh, white voters and Hispanic voters very strongly support this. Black voters more evenly divided. Republicans and independents strongly support it. Uh, but Democrats more evenly divided. And David, this fits into a bigger context of, of people want elections to be fair. You know, look, I know Republicans and Democrats who are in power think that all that really means that being fair means is that they win. But most Americans want to have a system that works. That means they also want photo ID required before you vote in person. Solid majorities want, if you send a mail-in ballot, you should send a copy of your photo ID. They want to see the voter list purge before elections to remove people who have moved away or passed away. Uh, I think you know the, one of the things that America could use more than anything else, more than a policy recommendation right now, would be election reform on, some key, on a state-by-state -state basis to try and restore a little bit of trust in this process. You know, one of the things that, that, that I, I got to tell you, it's got to be a bit frustrating, you know, is just this idea of you, you, you just can't figure out whether or not people are going to uh, indeed, uh, as when they, let, let me try to rephrase it a little bit. When they go and try and vote, uh, you know, people want to know that it's a fair and free election. Uh, and right. the, the courts right now uh, are not giving Trump any legal victories at all, at all. So I wonder if polling will be done eventually to see 
uh, if people will be more apt to feel it's a fair and free election if it goes to the courts rather than not go to the courts? Because if it doesn't go to the courts, then, you know, if no court hears it, then everybody's got a bad taste in their mouth at the end of the day. You know, uh, back in election 2000, you remember that, the hanging chads yeah. and Al Gore and George W. Bush. And we heard lots of people on the political left say that the Supreme Court's intervention in this is going to destroy confidence in the court. And you know what? Public approval of the court before that decision and after, unchanged and very good. Uh, we've seen the same thing throughout this process. There is more confidence in the courts than in other systems. Doesn't mean everybody agrees with every decision, but there is more confidence there. Uh, but ultimately, look, the problem isn't what the courts decide. The problem is the system of casting ballots is so ugly these days and so slipshod that it does raise questions. Uh, you know, I moved to Florida this year, voted in Florida for the first time ever. That state has done a great job. My new state has done a great job recovering from the debacle of 2000. And they had a very efficient system, very few challenges to the way the system worked. And they reported the votes on election night. I would hope that Pennsylvania and a lot of other states take a look and say, you know what? Yeah, we do have to clean up our process. Scott Rasmussen, always great to see you, talk to you. And uh, got to love Florida. I hope it's like 75 and a nice breeze down there. It's gorgeous. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Scott. Scott Rasmussen. We're back in a moment with a, how do we say this? Well, it's the last sip. It has to do with a Nerf gun and the NRA. You're going to get a kick out of this. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Time for uh, the last sip. Look, I got to tell you, uh, Donald Trump, he's president of the United States. A lot of uh, weighty, heavy, important issues out there, right? He was in Georgia uh, this weekend. Uh, he was talking about election fraud. He was going through the United States and everything in front of this country. But instead, here was a headline that you may have missed. How about this? Uh, way to go, media. Way to cover this. Trump bizarrely claims to be the only one who likes cucumbers in self-centered Georgia Senate rally speech. Okay, so let me just get this straight. He is talking about really important issues, and they're talking about cucumbers. Way to go, media. Let's continue on, shall we? Uh, there's some other headlines uh, throughout the years with Donald Trump. Look at this one back from 2017. Trump gets two scoops of ice cream. Everyone else gets one. And other top lines from his time interview. CNN, what are you doing? That was a CNN headline. Let's move on. I, I don't even know what to say. Uh, here's Business Insider, the hard-hitting Business Insider. Trump's salt and pepper shakers tower over everyone else's. Obama, Bush, and Clinton used the same size shakers as their guest. <laughs> Just keep going. Why am I laughing? I know why I'm laughing. Here's CBS News. How about this? Walter Cronkite would be proud of this one. Trump pauses during remarks for sip of water. Really? This is journalism today? Really? Shall we continue? These are not, this is not fake stuff. These, these are real headlines, people. Here's Newsweek. Donald Trump stole pancakes and forgot a relative was dead while visiting family. Cousin claims. Really? More? Please? Does it stop? It doesn't stop. The Independent. What Donald Trump's love of well-done steak says about him. And one last one. TheDailyMail.com. Trump is making me fat. Democrats like Barbara Streisand are more likely to, quote, eat their, feel <laughs> eat their feelings 
drink their sorrows and blow off steam at the gym to cope with midterm election stress. Folks, these are real headlines. We're not making this up. Uh, This is the hard-hitting news media for you. That's right. We've got a lot going on in this country. We've got so much that needs to be discussed. Media doesn't have time at all to get into the election fraud nonsense, or I should say nonsense, what they call nonsense. They say it's not important, but they'll talk about cucumbers. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the water cool. I like how I time I time the uh, the uh, what is that called? Is that a jingle? I don't know. It's a sh- it's a show jingle. It's an intro. Madison tells me it's an intro. Great. Uh, time now for uh, Sophie Mann with just the news. I'm never going to call you Sophie News again, by the way. Why? <laughs> Why you want me to? <laughs> I just wondered what have I done to lose that position? Nothing. No, it's your brand for sure. It's okay, your brand. But right? I kinda, Sophie Mann just kind of works. That it, I would hope. I mean, it's just my name. <laughs> it's just your name. Okay, we're really kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, unpacking that too much. Okay, uh, let's talk about Mo Brooks. Yeah. This is a name that people need to kind of know and understand. They about do. What, yeah, what's good? Talk to me about Mo Brooks, the congressman. So Mo Brooks, as you say, is a congressman from Alabama, um, staunch GOPer. He uh, told Politico earlier this week that he, on January 6th, is planning to contest the electors. So, you know, the c- Congress convenes and they the electors vote and at that point a new president is officially elected but what mo brooks the possibility that he is now exploring is basically saying i contest these results and what does that mean so he's a member of the house if a member of the senate gets up and says i agree with mo brooks i contest them as well then a discussion is triggered and what that discussion would be is we contest the results of this election. We don't agree with the electors. Let's discuss it. It's a very quick discussion, relatively speaking. It, it only has to occur for about two hours of floor time. Huh. And then what happens is you, and, and then and then this, a, a couple of more like procedural elements take place and you have a contingent election. Mm-hmm. And that we know is a possibility that has been floated a lot, sort of speculated about um, mm-hmm. in the wake of all of this. But what would then happen is that the House, um, the House delegation would need to vote on who becomes the next president. And it's mm-hmm. sort of taken out of the hands of the people. You know, we, we cast all these votes last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and House electors b- begin to decide. And at the end of the day, if it's Donald Trump or if it's Joe Biden, that's who becomes the president. Yeah. Um, and Republicans basically have this strategy where they see it's, it's a slim shot. It's a long shot, but it's a real shot. Mm-hmm. There's a real constitutional path forward to get Donald Trump in office if a series of things happen and Mo Brooks is really spearheading this movement. Yeah, you know what's interesting? Everybody's talking about a couple weeks left, December 14th, or the December 8th, the safe harbor date, December 14th, when the electors vote and everything. But hold on. Actually, maybe a few mm-hmm. more weeks after that. I mean, yeah. you, you could have a, a situation on January 6th where you have a little bit more evidence, or, or maybe the smoking gun and Dominion materializes. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly the entire country right now is learning yeah. a lot about constitutional procedure pertaining to the election. Sophie? Good. Sophie Mann, who is Sophie News, good to see you. Good to see you. All right. Uh, Tomorrow is Friday, which means we're going to have a lot of fun on the show, what we do every day. See you tomorrow.